Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. This is our Q&A series where I answer your questions regarding the infinite banking concept, becoming your own banker. Let's get started. This question, Doug asked a very good question specifically to um, his policies, but it's a great question and should apply to all of us. In all cases, comma, I must pay the illustrated per year premium to keep this policy in effect. Is this true? And the question is very important because it details my responsibility. I love the question, Doug. Thank you very much. And so you, the policy owner, should know the limits within your policy, the limit of your ability to pay a premium, the maximum premium, whatever that may be. And then if there's any flexibility, your ability to lower the premium to what, then you should understand the ramifications of that, the result. What is the result if you were to lower premium? But directly is yes, you should pay the maximum premium that your policy will accept without becoming a modified endowment contract very generally, right? And then, or that's actually very specific. That's what should be done. So whatever terminology you want to use, the maximum premium that you can pay into your policy, that's the goal. Yes, that's what you should do. And that absolutely does inform your responsibility. Right. Very good question. And uh, thank you for asking. Doug asked another question. This policy is designed so that I am to pay premiums until age 91. In parentheses, should I live so long? Is this true? Question. Again, this details my responsibility. Yes. If you have determined with an educated agent and advisor how much premium to pay and the duration in which you can pay that, whatever that goal is, whatever that design is, yes, by all means, you should do that. Because a dividend-paying life insurance policy issued by a mutual company, but really all whole life policies, I'm not talking about universal or any other kind, whole life policies have non-forfeiture guarantees. So if there's a cash value remaining, um, net of outstanding loans, potentially. there. If there's enough cash value remaining in that net cash value remaining in that policy that you can elect a non-forfeiture option, which is reduced paid up. Um, if you have the cash values within a policy, you can premium offset or surrender to pay premiums. <clears throat> so, Uh, And I know this is brief, but very, very straightforward and clear that you should determine what premium you can pay and for that duration or for whatever duration uh, makes sense for you. And your policy should be specifically designed for you to achieve that. When we use dividend paying whole life insurance policies issued by a mutual company, you have certain contractual rights that don't exist in non whole life policies, the non-forfeiture options, okay, is just is, is just one. And if you have a net surrender value, net of outstanding loans, if there is enough net surrender value that can you can exercise the reduced paid up option or premium offset or paid from policy values, you would surrender cash values to 
pay the minimum premium. And I'm just saying that you should understand that I should not, this language that I'm using should not be foreign to you if you own a life insurance policy. You should understand your contractual rights and obligations. And when you exercise either one, how that affects your policy. Okay. I mean, outstanding questions. In this question, in the policy design, is there a point in time when the net cash value is projected, not guaranteed, to exceed the sum total of all premiums paid? And the answer across the board is yes, yes, and yes. So an illustration is a projection as if nothing changes. So with a mutual company participating, dividend paying, uh, life insurance company, they're using the current dividend scale and they're projecting those dividends out, the non-guaranteed component of the accumulation of values in a life insurance policy. And dividends go up and dividends go down. So they will change. But the illustration is illustrated today using the current dividend scale out into the future. Okay. But yes, there is a crossover point. And I think there's another question <clears throat> regarding that in every policy. You'll be able to look at every policy that you own, the illustration, and see when that crossover point occurs, cumulative premium paid, cumulative cash value available. Okay. And then this question, this question comes from Anthony um, from episode Part one, Bank with Life, episode number 182. And that was a paid up additions part one. Okay. His question is, can you say what is meant by quote unquote break even with a policy and when that typically should happen? Okay. It's a compound question, Anthony, and I appreciate it very much. So that is the quote unquote break even point if that's the terminology that I use in that uh, episode. Cumulative premium, cumulative cash value, when they equal beyond that point, if you're continuing to pay premiums, the cash value is going to exceed the total premium paid. But that's what I'm, if I, I'm sure that that's, that is what I meant if I use the word a break even point. That is just a future informational point. It's just a data point in a life insurance policy because you may pay the illustrated premiums. You may not pay the illustrated premiums kind of alluded to that in the previous uh, two questions. Um, but then he continues when, when that uh, with the policy and when that should typically happen. So when should this crossover point occur? And that should be different for every one of us. How long the duration in which you want the contractual right to pay a premium and how long you actually pay a premium. So it, it's based on the policy design, which includes, you know, your current financial situation, situation, your goals, what you want to do, the cash flows that you have. So the policy should be designed for you specifically. The, the, uh, <clears throat> your policy. Um, is going to hit that break-even point, it, it should be different than mine or someone else's. You're different ages, different genders, different premium amounts, different death benefits. Uh, but typically, it happens 
you know, in between the eighth and the ninth year, currently, this is 2023, on the current CSO tables, um, that's pretty standard. But pretty standard. But now if you if you're young and you have a child where well, you can't use the uh, term riders to raise up the death benefit, which allows you to pay the higher PUA, um, then you may be limited on how much premium you could pay into the PUA policy or the yeah, into the PUA on the policy. Um, so a child, it may take 10, 12, 14 years, right? For an older person who's rated or highly rated or whatever, you know, it would be different. So when I, and I'm loath to say it should happen between seven, eight or nine years, um, it'll happen quicker than you think, right? And you don't want, in my encouragement, you listen to over a hundred hours of videos out there. I get it. This podcast is very nuanced quite often, but you do not want a policy, designed and contorted in such a way that that you know you're only focused on that quote unquote crossover point you can mutilate a policy and make that happen in three or four years right does that mean that it's good no it doesn't you must understand or have an idea of what that causes to happen in the future okay so if i want to practice becoming my own banker and I want to practice the infinite banking concept, am I only going to need capital for three years or four years? Uh, No. Okay. Well, am I only going to have a limited need to pay a premium to accumulate capital? So the answer is no. You know, at my age currently, I practice the infinite banking concept for about 20, I don't know, a long time. Okay. Um, and I still have a need for capital. There are still things that I want to finance. And it may be the uh, next generation that I'm financing things for. You know, your situation is different than mine. And, and rightly so. All of our situations are different. My point here is I believe I answered when the crossover point is. And I'm addressing when it should when it should occur. And it should occur on the appropriate timeline for you in your individual situation with full understanding of uh, the numbers behind the uh, or the, the numbers behind the illustration and their functions. OK. And, I, you know, I don't mean to go on and on. I just should be different for all of us. And this question, what does insurable interest mean? And this is a question on a short. um, I think the short was how long would you want to keep a policy going? So I was probably speaking about the insurable interest that you might have on others. So insurable interest. Look, life insurance is life insurance. It's not an investment. It is a replacement of a loss. That is partially why the death benefit is tax-free, because it is not an investment return to my beneficiary. If I die, my lovely wife receives everything that uh, that she's a beneficiary on in, in this case. I mean, she receives everything anyway, right? I live in a community property state. Doesn't matter whose name is on the asset. It's ours. But she being she being a beneficiary on my life insurance policies. Why? She has an insurable interest on me, on my life. If I die, if I graduate, not only is she going to lose me, she's going to lose all of the future income that I would have earned had I lived. That's what's being insured with life insurance, the loss of income. 
future income. All right. And so she has an insurable interest on me because I'm the primary breadwinner of our household. Now, I have children also. Do I have an insurable interest on them? Yes, because they're my children. However, it's limited and it's different. The amount of insurable interest that my wife has on me or a spouse has on another spouse is different than the, the limits of insurability. Yes, there's an insurable interest, um, but the amount of insurance and that can be put in force in that situation is different than a spouse, right? The same is if I have a, if I had a parent and I don't have any parents alive, but there is a limited insurable interest that I would have on my parents and a limited insurable interest that my parents would have on me and that my parents would have on my children, their grandchildren and the, and, uh, and also down to the great grandchildren. Um, so, I do not have an insurable interest on a random person that I don't know, have no business dealings with. They're not family. There's no loss to me. Right. So let me say that too. Really, if somebody dies and I'm going to lose because of their death, that is the insurable interest. Right. My loss. If, if I graduate tomorrow, there's no loss to you. Because you don't that therefore there is no insurable interest, right? Now if we went into business and we were partners and I can create a, a bunch of different uh, scenarios, but there's an insurable interest on a legitimate business. You know, if the if the the business is earning a million dollars, there's two owners, there's a five hundred thousand dollars in that example, insurable interest on each owner, between each owner. All right. Okay. Um, insurable interest. I'm going to lose something financially of value if someone graduates that creates the insurable interest if you know my neighbor graduates tomorrow i'm going to lose a great neighbor but there's no financial loss to me all right i hope that um answers your question so here here's a, a positive comment it says, thank you so much for following up. At this time, I don't have any questions, and my policy has been, has been doing what was promised much better even. Thank you again, and say hi to James for me. George, hello, sir. Thank you for being a client, and thank you for the positive encouragement. That was a response to a service exchange between my office and a client. Here's here's another one. Um, thanks again for the fast service. This makes me feel progressive on the goals James assigned with me, which I wanted to accomplish prior to the event, prior to October. And I can't wait to meet the entire family at the event and everyone in attendance. May God continue to bless you all. Thank you, Dennis. God bless you. And I look forward to seeing you. Now, here, here's a question that it's really a kind of a commentary, but there's uh, some couple of good statements in here that, that I'm pulling out. This individual lives abroad in his country. Um, life insurance is not available as we understand it. And there are no mutual companies in existence in his country. And he, he kind of explains that and he explains what he's doing as an alternative. But still, and this, this comment is pulled from um, part one of Matt and Morgan, the episode 179. 
and he says, just like Matt, I hate banks, bankers, and fractional reserve banking and printing unlimited amounts of fiat currency. Parentheses, not money. Out of thin air and transferring it first to their cronies where it has a maximum value before the inflation is seen in the society at large. That is exactly uh, what happens, what goes on when you have a central bank. That's exactly what's happening around the world. And controlling the banking function where you don't have to be dependent upon that activity is life-changing. So you should learn, at least expose yourself to this idea of becoming your own banker. And you do that with the book, Becoming Your Own Banker by R. Nelson Nash. It's a start original source, right? Then he wrote a second book, Building a Warehouse of Wealth. And then I have a, uh, a liking for a third book, How Privatized Banking Really Works, Carlos Lara and Robert Murphy. That is a solid foundation. And then Nelson has his six and a half hour live presentation video available. You can buy it and have the little hard plastic disc to plug into your game box or you can get digital access to that. And then he goes on and says, currently I do not want to leave the country, but if that's off, but if that's not off the table, but that's not off the table. And then just let me say that you cannot come to the U.S., even from Canada, Mexico, or anywhere else, just to buy life insurance if you're insurable. Right? So it's very difficult for you to live abroad as a U.S. citizen and still get life insurance. Can it be done? Yes. But you cannot come to the U.S. as a, as a non-U.S. citizen to buy life insurance. Nobody's going to issue that. Um, to my knowledge, there may be some jank company somewhere that does, but I don't, I'm not aware of them. Thank you for listening. If you have a question that you would like answered, email me at james at bankingwithlife.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.